Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Recorded live. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Spanish Mustangs Radio, a show about the first horses in America, where we explore the past to the present of this breed from America's history. I'm Wynn Brookhouse, and with me is my fellow Spanish Mustang lover, Jolie Alonji, who is running the controls, and also Dave Reynolds, um, the person who has introduced me to the Spanish Mustang and uh, all the wonderful things about it. This episode is sponsored by www.arrowrockspanishmustangs.com. Today, my topic is Spanish Mustang breed. <clears throat> now, before going any further, let's just get our terms straight. The following are from Webster's Collegiate Dictionary. Confirmation is defined as the proportional shape or contour of an animal. Breed is defined as a group of animals related by descent from common ancestry and visibly similar in most characteristics. Now, too often both PhDs and horse lovers do not use the above terms correctly when describing a group of horses. This is especially true of the Spanish Mustang of North America. Most breeders talk of the confirmation of the horse as showing breed, but it is the breed traits of the horse that defines its breed. That is the unusual characteristics which clearly show the similarity of a group of horses falling into that breed. Now, confirmation outlines the contour or shape of the horses that shows whether a horse is sound or not and can be used to judge many different breeds of horses for the same confirmation trait. As a Spanish Mustang owner, I know every time I hear someone um, talk about horses, about my horses, they say, I love those Mustangs. I saw them on the Discovery Channel. Now, they think those are my horses because I use the word Mustang. But Mustang is not a breed type. It is a corruption of the Spanish word Mesteños, which means lost or unowned. So what is a Spanish Mustang? The Spanish Mustang was brought to America by Columbus to the Caribbean islands and by the conquistadors to Mexico, North, southern North America, and South America. These were the first horses brought to America. As they populated the southwest in Mexico, some were lost and stolen by the Indians and became unowned. The Americans, the Americas, especially the open plains of the West, were the perfect breeding ground for the horse, and they prospered. Now, the Mustangs, Spanish Mustangs' characteristics were small stature, not more than 13.2 to 14.2 hands high, smooth muscling, a low-set tail, a convex face from the pole of the head to the tip of their nose, a deep base of the neck, sparse hair on their fetlocks. Their chestnuts are small and flat and smooth, and sometimes on the hind legs they're not present at all. When standing, the front legs are slightly under the horse as if they are leaning forward and the hind legs, hind legs will be up under the horse a little. That way the horse is ready to move and to go at an instant. <clears throat> They're higher at the withers than at the hindquarters. Now, Spanish Mustangs are agile and sure-footed and smooth-gated. Their action is fairly high. These characteristics define their breed as Spanish and were recognized by any knowledgeable horseman of the period. 
For the entire time they ruled the West, they were not tainted by any other breed of horses. They were the horse of the Indian, the cowboy, the conquistador, and traveler of the West. In the 1800s, it was estimated to be around 2 million Spanish Mustangs in the West. As America moved into the 1800s and the cattlemen and the farmers began fencing the West, the Spanish Mustangs began being slaughtered, like the buffalo, to stop their competition for grass. J. Frank Doby, in his book, The Mustangs, written in 1934, says, quote, Well, the wild ones, the coyote duns, the blues, the blue ronins, the snip-nosed pintos, the flea-bitten grays and the black-skinned whites, the shining blacks and the rusty browns, the red rowans, the tossed sorrels and the stocking bays, the splotched Appaloosies and the cream-colored palominos, and all the others in shades and colors as various as the hues that show and fade on the clouds at sunset. They are all gone now, gone as completely as the grass they vivified. Now, Dobie did not know about people like Gilbert Jones, Bob Brislon, or Monty Holbrook, who also lived in the late 1800s. These men saw the Spanish Mustangs and realized that they were a dying breed. They started to save them and breed them. It is from this group of horses that the Spanish Mustangs from today have survived. Now, the wild Mustangs today are not the survivors from the Spanish Mustang herds, but mostly mixed breeds of horses that have been lost by ranchers through the 1900s and horses abandoned by horse owners who no longer could care for their horses. Since the West is the land of the horse, they have prospered and make up herds of feral horses that populate the BLM lands and exist at other sanctuaries. You will not see all the colors that were described above in the quote from Frank, J., from Frank Dolby, and you will not find all the breed characteristics mentioned above that define a Spanish Mustang breed type. There are only a little more than 1,800 Spanish Mustangs in the United States presently. It is this breed of horses that needs to be saved and preserved as part of our American Western history. Now, I know there are many people who want, people who want to disagree with this, but I have found that they do not use facts or historical records to back up their claims. The Spanish conquistadors kept excellent records during their period of conquest. There is no disputing which horses were in North, Western North America during the 1500s to the 1800s. There are many documented accounts of the Mustangers and the Spanish horses they destroyed. The drawings of Will James and the paintings of Remington, to na name a few, show accurate visual documentation of the breed. I myself have found photos of the Northern Plains Indians, now some 200 years ago, with horses that look identical to my own. Now, as we continue these radio shows, we'll delve into the past and present of these wondrous horses. As Cortez said in a letter to Emperor Charles V in the 1500s, this country was won on horseback, and that horse was the Spanish Mustang. Um, so that's what our shows are going to be about. It's going to be about the horse and all of its aspects from past to present. And um, those of you who might be listening who are Spanish Mustang breeders will know Dave Reynolds. You'll know Jolie Alonji. Both of these people have dedicated their lives to um, help me preserve these horses. So um, they also have their show on, which is on every Saturday night at, um, I think it's 9 o'clock, right, Jolie, Eastern Standard Time? Well, it was. We're going to be changing our time a little. Um, I'm okay. not quite sure what that time will be, but it, gotcha. it'll show up. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, what will happen is you folks can look up the show at TalkShoe.com at the Horse of the Conquistadors if you use that as a search engine. Okay, and Jolie, do you remember what the ID number is for your show? <laughs> Not at the moment. But, okay, uh, hold on. I've got it. I've, I've got I've it. I fall under Spanish Mustangs also. You know, yeah. I wanted to use that as a search word. Well, maybe I don't have it. Oh, God, I got things written down. I, I got it, Win. Okay, Dave, it's, what is uh, it? Three seven zero one one. Three seven zero one one. Yes. Okay, great. So, guys, what do you think? I mean, do you think that, that the way that we've described it, this concept to separate breed and confirmation, um, do you think I'm close to maybe helping people to better understand what our horses are all about as far as their look and how they're different from um, other horses that people put the last name or the Spanish word Mustang on, which does not define a breed? Uh, well, Dave, uh, can you add two wins description of breed type? Uh, well, uh, what he what he described in the beginning is, is pretty close. Uh, that's to me that that'd be the ideal one, and uh, <clears throat> we got to keep remembering the flat, smooth muscling and the medium to low tail set and the deeper set neck. If we keep those things in mind, that'll help us right away because we ought to be able to look at a horse within just a few seconds and, and know in our mind whether it's a, um, a Spanish Mustang or some other breed. No, I also found, Dave, because uh, just so that the, the listeners know, uh, Dave helped me to define down the breed type uh, because he's the one who's, who's really made it very clear to me what a breed type means. And um, I also found that that concept of the way that they stand with their front legs, you know, drawn back as if they're leaning slightly forward. Um, I definitely find that very characteristic when I look at a quarter horse, which doesn't stand that way. I mean, those legs are rock-solid planted to the ground, you know. Um, you can see that at a moment to take off, there would be a hesitation to get the muscles set correctly to be able to begin to run, you know. Um, so I do find that that helps me a little bit when I look at my own horses to go, okay, I can really see the um, the characteristics between each one of my you know each one of my horses. Um, now, um, what what would be great, guys, is is that you're you've had and you've already had shows talking about the conquistadors and Dave uh, on that show, so people can refer to it. Dave also had um, an idea of the years of how the uh, the the horses themselves slowly moved up through the west and began moving north. Um, and my next show next week is going to cover exactly that concept from when the uh, Cortez brings the first horses, just how they begin to uh, disseminate outwards um, and from what points that seems to have taken place, okay? Um, and uh, hopefully that will you know, begin to define for you folks better too, not just the history of the horses, but the history of the American West because so many of us, in our mind, we think American West, we think cowboy, okay? But what we don't understand is the American West, the horses got here because of the Spanish. And because of the pequeros, because of the haciendas, because of that culture of horse, that is what created the cowboy. That's, the cowboy's language comes from the Spanish, uh, words for horse, for horse riding and horsemanship. And... Um, 
So a lot of us, we just don't really see that. In fact, I think about it back when um, I watch, used to watch all movies because I loved watching every single cowboy movie that ever existed or TV show. And, you know, the, the Spanish, as far as horses, always played a subsidiary role. You know, like, gee, they were lucky to maybe even see a horse type of thing, you know. And it's really a lot further from the truth than people realize, you know. Um, so, I mean, I, I've done a lot of historical research on the early um, transferring of uh, what I call northern Europeans because the Spanish are Europeans. But basically the East Coast is, is populated by the northern Europeans and the French. And basically what we see is that travel that takes place from east to west takes place by the usage of rivers, and a lot of it was by foot. And um, so the concept of the horse was already very well established here by the time they, they arrive here. When Lewis and Clark explores the West, there's already horses there. Am I correct with that, Dave? I believe so. I know oh, yeah. I, I, yeah. yeah. They, they bought, Lewis and Clark <clears throat> bought horses from the Indians on his journey. Right. <clears throat> the See. So that, that should help because... Um, you know, as horse lovers, I think that we can be honest and say that if it's a horse, we love it, regardless of what breed it is, but that what we love the most are our horses, and we do that for a reason, and since we're talking about breed type, and I know this doesn't really fall under breed type, but it might, it, it's, it's one of those things, fall, and that is the basic personality and mindset of the horse itself. I was just telling Dave before we started the show that I was riding my horse Ricky uh, yesterday, and we were just having a ball out there, just running in circles, and we were actually corralling one of my other horses, um, and they were both having a ball. I mean, both horses were into it, and I mean, the quick response, the incredible ability to turn almost 180 degrees at a lope, uh, you know, it's a real challenge for you as a rider just to, to, you know, when you, when you start doing that stuff, you realize you can ride, just start to ride just about through anything, you know, because your horses, I just let them go. I just let them have fun and run and, and, and twist and turn. And, uh, you know, they're so fluid and so quick at their response. Um, you know, and I think it's got a lot to do with their basic shape because if you draw a box from their shoulders to their backside, it makes a very, it makes a almost a perfect square. And I've looked at a lot of the horses, and now I tend to just make this imaginary box. And it's that it's that compact structure that allows that agility. Um, when I look at other breeds of horses, they're stretched out. I, 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 they almost look sometimes to me like big dachshunds. You know how a dachshund dog, hot dog dog, is all stretched out. You know, and um, they don't have that quick turning ability because they've just got too much space between their front legs and their back legs, you know. So, um, you know, that's that also the basic personality concept, um, their incredible curiosity on, about things. Um, their seemingly almost instantaneous um, uh, memory, you know, of, of situations. Now, of course, a lot of horses have that. I'm not saying that ours are the only ones, but... Um, for me, I, I I seem to see a crisper response, you know. I, I think um, on, on the average win, I think our horses are more intelligent. They've they've had to be that way to survive through you know Mother Nature. To survive in Mother Nature, <clears throat> they had to be 
keep all their senses very sharp. Mm-hmm. I, I think that helped them a whole lot. Yeah. In fact, a real interesting story is because um, I bought my property from Dave Reynolds. And um, when I came up here, I didn't have a house or anything. I was living in my RV. My property was opened. I had no fences. So Dave's herd of horses would come onto my property and leave. And he had his stallion um, troubleshooter at that time who was with the herd. And I was building my house. And uh, since I didn't have any way to keep them out, of course, they would come up and they never shied away. I had to, I had to, you know, my radio arm saw working and I had all my stuff going. And so I was out there and I'm hammering, you know, putting in the nail, okay, in a, like, adding plywood to, you know, a, a frame of wood, you know, something for me to put up, you know, one of the walls. And for a second, the, their horses were right there all around me just watching. But troubleshooter in particular. And I laid the, 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 um, the hammer down. And I, you know, turned around to do something. And when I turned around, here was troubleshooter. He had the hammer in his mouth. By the right part, it was held, held by the end of the handle, right on the end where my hand had been. And before he did anything with it, he just looked me straight in the eye, and then he took the hammer, and he whacked at the nail. <laughs> and I just laughed because, you know, the way he looked at me, it was like, see, I can do that too, you know. <laughs> like he was watching me and trying to understand what I was doing, you know. Mm-hmm. And now Dancer does the same thing. Like I said, I was out, I, I, you know, and Dave knows I had this problem because I don't have a round corral, so I train my horses in a 20-acre round corral, basically. And uh, the first time I put the, the saddle on Dancer, Dancers can put up with anything. So I had no problem. She didn't bust off or try to buck or anything. She was fine. So the next day I took and brought Ricky out. And, of course, Ricky's very sensitive. I put the saddle on Ricochet, okay? Now, one of the things I was doing, Dave told me, you know, you got to get them. You've got to get them ready. So you take after they get the saddle on, you know, you've got your lead rope on them. You take that stirrup, you lift it up, and you hit it against them, get them used to them, which I did with Dancer. You know, I hit it against her, and everything was fine. So I put the saddle on Ricky, and I was walking her out to an open area in case she tried to run, you know, so that she didn't run me over. And uh, I'm trying to get her over there. And over walks Dancer. She picks up that stirrup. She pulls it all the way back, and she just lets that thing go. And, of course, the minute it hit Ricky, Ricky took off like a bolt of lightning. <laughs> and Dancer just stood there and, like, looked at me like that was just the coolest thing, you know. And from that point forward, if I taught Dancer something first and then I went to teach Ricky, she'd get in my way trying to show Ricky what it was. You know, like if I would try to get Ricky's head to move left or to move right, whether I was on the ground or in the saddle, she would come over and position herself in wherever I had been. You know, she was picking up all of that, all that training, and she was applying it to Ricochet, <laughs> which, of course, Ricky never acted the way Dancer did and took it, you know, with a grain of salt. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, she always took off at a, you know, she, she you know, really re- would always really react, you know. But Dancer would just love to do that to me, so. You got you in shape running on uh, 20 acres on foot, Wind. Oh, well, and, hey, and Windflower's getting <laughs> me in shape, too. Because Windflower's favorite game is that, oh, okay, he's coming out because I'm not working her right now. Well, without it, with a rope. I'm just working her, getting her to turn the hindquarters and to do stuff. But before we can do that, we have to play. And that involves Windflower letting you get close, and then she takes off. Okay? Now, she'll take off at either a walk or a trot. 
And then what you got to do is you got to match her front feet. Now, I don't have to run with her. I can just stand in place, and she can be, she can be an eighth of a mile away. And all I've got to do is match those front feet. And the minute I match those front feet, she'll whip around and then stand and look right at me. And then all I have to do is take a step towards her, and then she'll come right into me. And then we'll play the game again until she gets tired of playing the game. And then she'll come in and stand there and let me pet her nose and everything, you know. And, and then we can, do, we can do a little bit of work, getting her to back up and, you know, um, stuff like that, desensitizing. But she just uh, loves to play that game. We, have a, we had a question from one of our listeners. And sure. um, she would like to know, like how the few were preserved or found and preserved to begin with and uh, why they need to be protected. Dave, you can answer that better than me, I think. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> them first, uh, old-timers, uh, Bob Brislong, Gilbert Jones, and, and Monty Holbrook, and they realized in uh, when they were just young that and uh, the true Spanish Mustang was getting bred out of existence. So they found them in the most remote places. Uh, they, some of them were taken off. You know, they found on the Indian reservations because the, the, the ranchers were trying to crossbreed them. They wanted a bigger horse. And so what few they found, and there weren't that very many to start with. Uh, there was only How like, were they breeding them out of existence? By putting other different stallions in. They would a lot of times they would they would shoot the, the little Spanish Mustang stallion and then and uh, put in a a different you know breed of stallion. Um, a lot of times they would gut shoot the little stallion because if you would shoot him and kill him, the mares would scatter. So they would gut shoot him, the stallion, and so he wouldn't die right away. And the mares would stay together, but in a few days he's in so much pain that the other stallion can come in and, and gather the mares and hold them. It, it's pretty cruel, but that's what happened, and people don't like to talk about it. And, and, then, uh, and then from there, as far as um, breeding them, what they did is they brought them back to their own ranches to preserve them at that point. Yeah, the, the few that they found, they, they, they would you know gather them, you know, some were gathered off the Indian reservations and uh, in the real, like the Book Cliffs area, the real rough area. Uh, they got they got uh, one mare out of old Mexico, um, and they brought them back to their own ranches and uh, bred them there. Now, the second part of that question was they asked why was why is it important to save these horses? Well, and why do they I, need I, to be I, I, let me answer some of that and see if I've got it, and that's just from my own uh, personal edification to see if this stuff is sinking into me. And and the reason for that, folks, is that the Spanish Mustang breed is is very old. It's, it, if I'm right, it's called a primitive breed because of, it dates back very very far in history. And a lot of the horses we have today are thoroughbreds, are quarter horses. They have all been bred at some point or another to create those horses. They have Spanish blood in them. But now they have been interbred so much that if we keep doing this without keeping the primal stock, that original genetic material, what will happen is we will 
actually so breed the horses. They'll become like German shepherds, if people are familiar with that, where they bred the breed, so now it has physical problems, it's got um, mental problems, you know, and that's all from inbreeding. Um, so we, we need to preserve these stocks so that if ever at a time um, these other breeders of other animals need to invigorate their DNA and their genetic stock, these would be the horses from which they would try to do that. Now, there's already talk within the thoroughbred industry, for example, that they have literally bred the horses to the point where they're not seeing faster speed. And they think the reason for that is, is because of the factor that they're inbred too much. So a lot of the breeders are talking about bringing in outside breeds, okay? Now, Dave has a friend, um, and Ro- what's Roger's last name, Dave? Uh, Thorpe. Thorpe. Now, Roger's trying to recreate the Spanish war horse, which is a Spanish horse. But it had a particular look to it, okay? It had a particular, it looks very much like our horses, um, but it's not exactly like ours. It's the same breed type, am I correct, Dave? Yep, the, the breed type that we said in the, in the beginning would, right. fit, would fit his horses right to, to a T. Yeah. Right. See, but he's using crosses of the Pasifino. Um, he's using the Pasifino, the Spanish Mustang. Um, and is he using another Spanish horse breed? Yeah, he's, he's, he's used uh, uh, Peruvian Paso, Pasofino, Andalusian, uh, Lusitano. But right. when you when you look at all them Spanish breeds, they have that same yeah, same right. same breed type. They're all the same breed type. Okay, they're all Spanish horses. Okay, and he's looking to recreate that Spanish war horse, which is literally extinct. Now, the only way, way he can really do that, you see, is to dip into these gene pools, and that's why we're preserving these horses. It's not just that because I mean, of course, we love them. It's it's not that we think that they're faster, they're more endurance than, than most horses. So they have characteristics that other horse breeds just don't have. They're just not there. Um, and that's why we're preserving them. Okay, it's not just an historical thing. It is literally a biological, environmental thing. Yeah, we're okay, trying, We're trying to save these genetics because once we lose them, we'll never have them back again. And right. when, we, when we go back to, to Spain and Portugal... The indigenous horse in Spain and Portugal uh, is the old Soraya horse, and he's a true wild form of horse. And it's, to me, it's just like when you take, you was mentioning the dog breeds, the man-made dog breeds. Most of them have, have problems. It's because they're man-made. You go and look at the wolf and the coyote. Does he have any, any uh, physical problems? You know, his, his hips are just as sound as they can be. And the same with that Soraya horse. There's only about 150 or 200, 200 head of, of uh, Soraya horses left in the world. And they they came from 11 head of horses they preserved. So they're very inbred. But because they are a true wild form, they still have sound feet and legs. It's like the deer, the elk, the buffalo, the cheetah, all of that stuff, when, when when they're made by nature in their wild form, they don't have all these these defects that man, when man gets the breeding, he gets these defects going. So this is why we want to keep these little, true little Spanish Mustang horses because they are very strong and they're very correct, and we want to keep can, those genetics. Can you explain yeah. their um, 
tannin bones and well, well, let's not get into that because what I want to just hold on is basic breed that that that's like you guys should get in more detail on that on your show. You know, um, I'm trying to do this for the public. So instead, let's look at it this way because I want to make just throw one thing in here, and that is Dave mentioned the Soraya horse, and so that you people don't get confused because a lot of people think when we throw names around the Spanish to Pasifino, well now when you were talking about breed type, the Soraya horse is a breed type of the Spanish horse. It is it is a, a Spanish horse breed type, okay. Um, it has some it has colorations and and looks just like uh, you know must a Spanish our Spanish horses come in Appaloosa or as you heard my thing Blue Rowan Stocking Bays those are coloring okay but they're not actually definitions of breed type right okay um, and and that's why when Dave mentions the Soraya Mustang or we mention the Pasifino, or you mentioned the Andalusian. Okay, in fact, it's very interesting. Uh, in the Olympics the last time, the Spanish won a lot of gold medals. And I was happened to be listening uh, to it on the radio when that happened. And they interviewed the Spanish writers. And the first thing they said to them is they said, well, what horses are those? What, what kind of horses? Are? And they said they're Spanish horses. And they said, no, you don't understand. Well, what kind? You know, he, and he said, no, you don't understand. They're Spanish horses. To him, it didn't matter that you called it an Andalusian or you called it a Spanish Mustang or you called it a Soraya. To him, those were Spanish horses. When he looked at them and it was a Spaniard and as a, as a rider, he saw them as a breed type. Um, one of our problems in America is that we don't see that. We, we tend to call everything by confirmation and, and, and we name all this stuff, but we're not defining anything. These are things that can apply to a lot of different horses. Um, it's the same as the word when Dave mentioned, he said that they're naturally wild. Now, this is something that if this was the 1700s, everyone would understand what they mean. If, if a person from the 1700s was to come back right now and to be in the West and to see those wild horses running in the West, he would have a name for them. He'd call them feral. Okay, and they had that distinction between, like Dave said, naturally wild and feral. A feral horse is a horse that's basically been raised by people that has been let go into the wild. Okay, that's a feral horse, just like a feral domestic animal becomes feral when you let it go, but it is not a natural wild animal. Okay, and that was that distinction that Dave made just back then when he said natural wild. Okay. Um, a feral horse will not have breed type. I mean, they can, but but you can have all kinds of different breed types in them. They're, they're not they're not a breed type. They're just a right. wild feral horse. Right. It can now, be anything from a pony to a draft horse. Right. And see, once that they're out in the wild together, of course they'll keep interbreeding. So the so then there really becomes no breed type. You know, they they they, they produce looks that are all over the place. Um, now, that doesn't mean, and you people have to understand that, this doesn't mean that these horses are bad, okay? But it just means that they're not Spanish horses, just like our horses are not a Morgan horse or a Tennessee walker, okay? Um, <laughs> or a Pasifino. Or a Pasifino, okay, right. See, and so th this is the thing. You know, if, if you look at an Appaloosa, it's basically, and Dave will correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's basically a quarter horse breed type, with a with a Appaloosa coloring. Yes, a color breed. 
Right. It's a color breed, what they call a color breed, okay? Now, a lot of people just don't realize that, that the world of horses is so incredibly complex. Um, on J- Jolie and Dave's last show, they were talking about genetics and, and genes and how many genes each horse had to get this or to get that. And, I mean, I used, when I first started with horses, I just thought of them as horses, you know, and I never realized what how scientific it is, and even back in the 1700s, the 1600s, the 1500s, especially the Spanish, they were renowned for their breeding techniques, you know, um, and, and, and they always took their stock from these wild horses, okay? Um, and, and that's why we call them naturally wild. Now, our time is up for today, folks, and I want to thank everybody um, for listening to the show, and uh, Dave especially, because he's suffering more from his cold than I am, so he doesn't usually sound this husky and stuff. Um, that's the whiskey he drank before the show starts. <laughs> um, and, of course, Alange, you know, Jolie Alange. Okay, and you can, again, go to www.arrowrockspanishmustang.com. Jolie's got some wonderful photographs of her horses. Her horses are beautiful. Um, she's got pictures of Dave's horses there, um, and she's got a lot of information that you can read and learn about the horses and about uh, what they call the LP or the Leopard Pattern Project that her and Dave are working on to really try to define a horse that we uh, we know has there's very little of this particular color type left, and we're, they're trying to work on the genetics to get it back. Um, so we're doing really interesting things, and... Um, And hopefully, as you folks listen to the show, you'll learn more. So good night to all of you folks and all of you horse lovers. Thanks again, um, Jolie, and thanks again, Dave. And we'll see you all in two weeks. Have a good night. Bye, Lynn. Bye. Yep, bye. You guys still there? Yep, I'm still here. (laughs) Are you there, Lynn? Did he go somewhere? He must have left, huh? (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm going to terminate this then. Okay. Bye. So long. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.